I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. With Brandon Robinson. Scoopy Radio. Welcome to another edition of Heavy Heavy Live Sports Programming. We are on Heavy on Eagles, Heavy on Cowboys, Heavy on Lakers, and everywhere in between. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson, host of the pod, and we got a special guest, the man, the myth, the legend. I ain't eagle. What's going on, sir? What's up, B? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing in this pandemic? Doing well. You know, back to work, obviously, with the NFL. I was down in the bubble for the NBA for the seeding games, then back in Brooklyn calling playoff games. Uh, not quite the workload that I'm accustomed to. Uh, great to have the action back. What I miss is the interaction uh, that cannot be replaced. That cannot be simulated doing these games in the NFL. Of course, you've got the actual games to cover, but it's not the event that it would normally be. The fanfare isn't there. The buildup, uh, the the sounds are not quite the same. The ambiance is not quite the same, but you've got the games. And right now we're we're calling the games. CBS Sports Network, as well as Yes Network, as well as, as you mentioned, TNT, uh, the Turner Broadcasting um, during the bubble. I, I, I noticed that. I noticed that you were doing some Nets games. You were doing some stuff in the bubble. Yep. I, the thing that kind of – I didn't text you about this, but I, it kind of struck me was, like, did they expedite your, your quarantine process because you were in the bubble? Like, how did that work where you went from the bubble to – the broadcast in Brooklyn, like how busy was your, your scheduling in that part portion of the opening games? Yes. Yeah, schedule was, was definitely packed. I ended up spending 20 days down in Orlando, did 10 games in 20 days and it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I don't even want to beat around the bush here. It was just great to have the activity again. And I do think it, it provided 
a lot of entertainment and it gave people something to look forward to. Obviously, baseball, NHL, now football, college football. So we've seen one by one. We've seen tennis events, golf events, lacrosse, soccer. But the NBA coming out early and indicating that they had a plan in place, I think that did set a tone for the rest of the sports to at least be open to the idea that this could be done. They're doing it differently. Every sport is handling it in a different manner. So, but from a personal standpoint, yeah, it was it was awesome to be there, uh, coming back, doing games for the Nets. Uh, obviously, their hope was that they could be a little more competitive against the the Toronto Raptors. That that was not the case, but a lot to look forward to and a lot of excitement and anticipation, as you know, B, is is building about this Nets 2021 team whenever that season actually begins. You talk about the Nets, we're going to talk about a wide range of topics, but did you happen to get a glimpse of the retro powder blue Nets <laughs> uh, that the Nets released today? Yes, yes. I, I not only got a glimpse, uh, I watched the video, I saw Kyrie, who – is coming from such an authentic place because he grew up a Nets fan. And in that interview, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, you could catch it on any of the Brooklyn Nets social media channels. That's some real stuff. Uh, you know, he, like you, grew up a Nets fan. And there's a little something different about that era of being a Nets fan, of feeling like you weren't respected, feeling as if, People were not paying attention to your team. So what Kyrie was talking about and how much it meant to him emotionally to put that jersey on and to know that he's going to wear it in the upcoming season, you know, that's that's coming from, from the heart. Yeah, they're, they're cool. It was a little before my time. I've been doing the Nets games 26 years. That tie-dye look was just before I got there in 1994. It was... Uh, Drazen Petrovic, Derek Coleman, Kenny Anderson, Chris Morris. It was that group. And then they just went away. It, it went into the ether somewhere. So pretty cool to see that the franchise is bringing it back in, in a new form. You have in the past um, spoken about Kai, um, more specifically um, running into him in an Amtrak train. <laughs> yeah. Him being a fan of your work, you knowing obviously who he is, was he yet in Cleveland? Where, what station did you guys connect? Can you kind of unearth that story? Yeah, he he was in Cleveland at the time, and it happened to be the year they won the championship. So it was uh, Thanksgiving week of that season when they ultimately won the title. Uh, there was a confluence radio. of events that led to that moment. I ended up taking the train back from a Baltimore Raven game. Normally I would drive or I'd find some mode of transportation. I'm not a huge train guy, but that was the most convenient way to get back. Uh, I got on the train. There was literally nobody on the train when I got on. I put my bag down in an area thinking I would have two seats to myself. The conductor came by, said, hey, look, if you don't mind, can you take an individual seat? Because we are, we're expecting a large party on. I said, yeah, no problem. So I moved over to a single seat. We stopped in Delaware, nothing. I'm still sitting there. There may be a smattering of seven people on the train. Right. We get to Philly. I'm watching something on my device and 
I look up and the Cleveland Cavaliers are getting on the train one by one. They're getting on and it's Richard Jefferson. It's Chris Anderson. It's Kevin Love. All of them. They're just getting on. LeBron. What is going on here? So I'm just sitting there. Richard is sitting in the front of the train. So I didn't want to bother him and get up. I just assumed I'd wait till I get to my stop. I'd exit that way. I'd tap him on the shoulder and, and we'd be good to go. Well, I'm five minutes from my stop and these guys are having a good time. They've taken over the car at this point. J.R. Smith. Again, you can go through the roster. And Kyrie is sitting across from me and hanging and having some drinks and they're laughing and telling stories And the train, five minutes before my stop, has a complete screeching halt, Brandon, like I've never felt before. And I had actually stood up to get my bag out because they tell you, your stop is next. It was Metroplex. All I know is something happened and everybody reacts. So I sit back down. Five minutes go by. Everybody's kind of looking at one another. What happened here? And then Richard... RJ starts making his way back towards the back of the train and I grab his leg as he's walking by and he's startled. He looks down. He's like, Whoa, he's like, Whoa, Birdman, what are you doing here? And he sits down on my armrest for 45 minutes. We talk. That's how long we're sitting there. And we're talking about all sorts of things beyond basketball, the things that he wants to maybe do in his career after basketball. We get into some deep stuff that I hadn't seen RJ in a couple of years. So I ask RJ, I go, hey, man, what do you think's going on here? He goes, oh, yeah, we we hit somebody. What? He said, yeah, yeah, we definitely hit someone. I'm like, what is he talking about? Then he gets up. He goes, I'll be back. And he walks to the front. I go back. I'm watching now my, my device. And Kyrie now starts making his way towards my area. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to what's going on, but I'm not locked in. And Kyrie now stops one seat in front of me. And there's a guy sitting there reading the newspaper. And Kyrie says, excuse me, to the guy in front of me. He says, hey, I just want to tell you, I think you're the best broadcaster in the NBA. And this guy is like, what? Excuse me? And I realized that Kyrie thinks that is me. And I said, hey, Kyrie, I'm Iron Eagle over here. And he looks over, he looks at the guy, he looks back at me, he goes, oh, that's embarrassing. Ooh. And he comes over to me and we bro hug. He sits again right next to me on the armrest. Brandon, we talked for 45 minutes. We're talking another 45. We're talking old school nets. He's asking me questions about Jason Kidd and Vince Carter and Kerry Kittles and Kendall Gill. Like he's getting into the weeds of this. Mm -hmm. And we have a great conversation. Another 40. So that's an hour and a half now that's gone by. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, we did hit somebody. Someone had jumped in front of the train. It was Thanksgiving weekend. I ended up asking one of the conductors, Amtrak guy, and he said, yeah, you'd be surprised. That happens more often than you would think during the holidays. 
and it was bizarre. The whole thing was crazy. They ended up sending a second train to get the Cavaliers off our train. Things started getting a little rowdy, and they put a little bridge in between the two trains so that they could walk off. And I tried to walk off with them. I'm like, oh, all right, let's go, man. <laughs> Amtrak guy was having none of it. The Cavalier security guy was having none of it. LeBron walks by me now to exit, and he bangs me on the chest. He's like, what's up, man? And <laughs> two hours. We're sitting there two hours. I was five minutes from my stop. But, yes, uh, Kyrie, man, Scoop he, is, he is a really likable guy. And it, it's pretty amazing to me how the narratives take over. And I get it. The world that we live in now, uh, when when you're looking for clicks, when you're looking to create stories, uh, it, things happen. They take on a life of their own. I can only judge things based on my experience. Mm -hmm. A really thoughtful dude. Uh, he's a deep guy. Uh, th this is not an on-the-surface person. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to him, he connects. He engages with you. And some people can't handle that. Like that, that doesn't work for them. They, they're not used to having that kind of laser focus put on them. Uh, I've, I've been very impressed with him in, in, my, in my personal dealings. And I know we're going to get into it deeper here. I just think him and Kevin Durant have something special. And they're paying attention to everything that's being said. They're aware the only way to change it is to go out and win. That's what it comes down to. People can talk. And we know in the NBA, people love to talk. Yes. The NBA has this other world that takes place that has nothing to do with the games. It has nothing to do with the score. It has nothing to do with the stats. It has everything to do with the storylines. And... The NBA has benefited from that. There's this very fine line, as we know, in the NBA. Sometimes there's more hype in everything leading up to it than the actual event. And there's been a lot of conversation in regards to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, I, I just think the two of these guys are fully prepared and they want to try to do something really special in Brooklyn. You talk about Brooklyn, you talk about Kyrie, we talk about KD. Steve Nash is the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Were you shocked when you heard uh, that he would take the helm as, as their head coach? Yeah, Brandon, a couple things surprised me. One, that it was kept so quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, a, you're a guy that's always in there getting information, sharing information. You understand how all of this works, and there's a cycle of information that goes around the league. We all hear things and then you have to figure out what's real, what's not. And then there are those like yourself that can go and report it and yeah. they have an audience for it. This thing was not out there at all. So it, it certainly shows the way Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets approaches his job. It is very close to the vest. He's not someone that's just, tossing it out there to a million different people to get a gauge of what they think. He is doing his thing and he's doing it in his way. He's not worried about 
the media manipulation of it. So that was the first part that was surprising. The second part was the actual announcement. Uh, I didn't know that Steve was that serious about being a head coach at this point of his life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he and Sean had a relationship, the fact that he and Kevin Durant have some history, the fact that uh, he brings with him Hall of Fame credentials as a player. Mm -hmm. And I think more importantly than that, Brandon is an elite level of communication. Anyone that has spoken to Steve Nash knows that he comes from a very real organic place. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to him, you walk away knowing that this guy is the goods. He's got the goods. So in order to handle everything that's going to come with this season, 2020, 2021, with Durant, with Kyrie, with whoever the supporting cast is, you understand and acknowledge that this isn't just a normal job. The expectations are very high. And that's how Steve went about his career as a player. And I think now as a teacher and a coach, they got somebody that could really fit in well and mesh with the personalities that will be in that locker room. Another team uh, that is uh, a team that Kyrie Irving played for is the Boston Celtics. Um, they lost to the Heat. And, um, you know, when you look at just um, what they did, Jason Tatum uh, and, and Kemba Walker and, and, and uh, Jalen Brown, um, you know, many people had high expectations. They're still a young team. Yep. What do you make of their season this year? I still looked at their season at their season as successful. I, uh, you know, I know we live in a world where it's championship or bust. Sure. But with Kemba Walker in his first year, with Tatum, with Brown developing, with the extenuating circumstances of the bubble, not knowing how guys are going to react and handle that, uh, with the Hayward injury, I. I think they ended up where I thought they were going to be. That's pretty much how I saw them this season as, as a conference semifinalist. Now we found out more about Miami, how tough they are, how well coached they are, uh, how exceptional a player Jimmy Butler is. So maybe we need to flip the perspective and give credit where credit is due uh, with the Miami Heat and not – automatically lay blame that the Celtics just came up short or didn't live up to expectations. I still think they have a very bright future. I like their pieces a lot. Uh, I know a lot has been made regarding Kyrie and whatever happened there. And that's part of this narrative that I talked about earlier. I can't tell you how many people, Brandon, how many people reached out to me from the new England area after the Nets acquired Kyrie and the reaction was always, oh, you watch, you'll see, like a lot of that. So there was bad blood there. However, that went down. Again, this is just me in my life, not just in my professional life, in my regular life. I try to judge things based on my own experience and through the prism of my experiences. And I think there's still a lot of hurt there for whatever reason. And look, I get it. You know, it doesn't always end well. Often it doesn't ever end well. It's a rarity 
where somebody leaves a team and everybody's on great terms. There's always sore feelings. Uh, this one, though, really did seem to hang over for a while, and it's still there. It's still going to be there between the Celtics and the Nets. But if you're asking me strictly about Boston and their future, I still believe they they have a window here where they could be a serious factor in the NBA. I, I like their team. There's still some some places they need to improve, no doubt about it. Uh, they've they've tried to address those uh, that one spot the five spot you know that's that's an area how are they going to play what's their style uh, are they looking traditional or are they going to change it up a bit and and look to maybe uh, get a little smaller and a little more athletic in that position that remains to be seen you talk about new england uh, you segue perfectly um you covering the nfl uh, as well uh, i'm curious to know from your perspective there's so much tone turnover in New England. Uh, do you see the Patriots losing their mystique? Well, I don't know if they could have their mystique without Brady in the lineup. You still have Belichick, but the mystique is not going to be quite the same. What Cam Newton has done uh, prior to contracting COVID, he gave them an edge, and it really turned out to be a perfect marriage. Mm -hmm. He needed them and they needed him. Mm -hmm. And the timing of which was just exactly what the doctor ordered for both parties. Mm -hmm. To turn the page from Tom Brady, I thought they needed a big name, a legitimate personality, someone that could step in and yes, maybe do it in a different way. But at the end of the day, it's about respect and it's also about production. And Cam Newton has shown he still has a lot left. So I think the respect level is still there. You know, if you're playing the Patriots, Bill Belichick's on the other side. He's going to take advantage of all your weaknesses. He's going to expose a number of them as well. Uh, I think to some degree, the game I just did last week, the Raiders and the Chiefs, the Raiders looked at the blueprint that New England had put out there from the previous week. Although the Patriots didn't win the game against the Chiefs, they gave the rest of the league something to work off of and an area that they found now to try to give Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy some fits of, okay, teams are going to do this now. They're, they're going to they're gonna drop eight at times. They're going to have a three-man rush and dare Mahomes. Instead of blitzing him, dare him to go through his progressions and make the right play every time. I thought the Raiders did an outstanding job of that. The Patriots were the ones who really showed the way. Totally. And that's what Belichick does, uh, Brandon. He, he does it from every angle. And I believe he has a very big role in the offense. Or anyone that thinks, well, he's just coaching the defense. No. He understands every aspect. Offense, defense, special teams, kicking game, return game, you name it. This guy is an expert. So the mystique, as you mentioned, maybe it wasn't going to be quite what it was because Brady's not in the picture. But, boy, there's still going to be a tough out. And to me, they still very much look like a playoff team. And after what we saw Buffalo do last night, they very well still could be the division winner when it's all said and done. I and the Chiefs are 4-0. They are coming off of a good season last year. 
Can they repeat? Yeah, they're capable of repeating. Uh, just had that game against the Raiders. Uh, I think Chiefs fans are getting a little nervous after seeing the loss and not seeing the dominance from a year ago. I always feel like these proclamations that are made in October and November, they're fun for conversation, right? but they don't really have a bearing yet on January and February. And that's where the Chiefs are going to be judged. Same for the Baltimore Ravens. I have them coming up. They're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. They're not going to be judged on what they do now, Lamar Jackson's going to be judged on what he does in the playoffs. There's no getting around it. Kansas City, yes. Uh, I think they're better defensively. They didn't show it against the Raiders, but I do think they're better defensively, more consistent than we saw, even though they turned it on last year in the postseason. And offensively, they're still a machine. Uh, they can just make it look very easy at times. But teams have figured them out a little bit. And they're going to have to have something else up their sleeve. Knowing Andy Reid, he will. Le'Veon Bell is a free agent. <laughs> Do you like him in a Chiefs uniform or Patriots uniform? <laughs> uh, or an Eagles uniform. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Or a Bears uniform, for that matter. I think, I think those four teams could be in the mix for, for Le'Veon Bell. Brandon... It's, it's always interesting after the fact to think back. I do the Jets preseason games in New York and have done them for a number of years. So we sat down with Le'Veon Bell for his first production meeting as a member of the Jets prior to last year. And I really, I dig him. I, his personality, if you meet him, you can't help but like him. He's, he's a pretty upbeat positive guy. Now, I'm not there behind the scenes. And by the way, I want to say the same thing in regards even to the Nets or NFL. You know, broadcasters that that will tell you that they know an athlete really well, there's limitations to that. And you know, fans, I get it. You you're going to you're going to see what's being portrayed and you're usually going to latch on to that as uh, your compass for figuring out what you think an athlete is all about. You never really know. Mm -hmm. So with Bell, I really do like the guy. I've been, enjoyed talking to him in our production meetings. I don't know behind the scenes how all of that was going. It didn't seem to be going well between Adam Gase and Bell and the organization. He wanted out. They wanted him out. And they both got what they wanted. He's going to get his money as well. The Jets are going to be hit on their salary cap, but they get to start over and maybe they make an example of him and try to set the tone moving forward for the kind of guys that they want in their locker room. Can he still help a team? I think so. You know, the problem is, Brandon, we just haven't seen the production. The Jets' offensive line was terrible last year. It hasn't been much better this year. So is it fair to, to judge him solely off that? If he gets into a good system, I think he still has some gas in the tank. He's not old by any standards. He was off a year, so the mileage is actually lower than it would have been uh, because he took that year off in the contract dispute. One thing we've learned from this whole thing, B, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers know what they're doing. They have an understanding of how all of this works. You know, everybody was, was rocked when Antonio Brown got dealt or when they wouldn't deal with Le'Veon Bell on his turn. And they've come out the other side undefeated. They're very good in both of those areas, wide receiver and running back. They're making very cogent decisions, smart mm -hmm. So maybe that's what we have to take away from all this. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers may have a little bit of an idea of how to do this, and there's a reason why they've been so consistent through the years. Tell me something, or as my late grandma, grandmother would say, learn me something. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, are the talk of the town because of the injury to Dak Prescott. What do you make of Andy Dalton filling in for Dak? Yeah, that was terrible. Obviously, you just feel feel badly for, for anyone that goes through something like that. I'm not even talking about the contract situation or any of that. I'm just talking about him as an individual. That was hard to watch. And mm -hmm. uh, I just hope that he can come back better than ever. And hopefully it's with the Dallas Cowboys and this becomes a distant memory and they work out a deal. And this is just a small chapter in the career and life of Dak Prescott. Andy Dalton. I did a bunch of Bengals games over the years when they were rolling along. Marvin Lewis won a lot of games in Cincinnati. People tend to forget that. He never won the most important games in the playoffs, but he won a lot of games. Andy Dalton always struck me as someone who was completely prepared, uh, very well respected in the locker room because of his work ethic, because of his preparation, because of his smarts. And similar to Ryan Tannehill, he had more success than Ryan had when mm -hmm. Ryan was in Miami. And he had more success in Cincinnati, multiple playoff appearances. I do think this could be a really interesting next chapter for him. You know, we tend to write people off in, in sports. It, it's just funny how it works. And in football in particular, Look, I play fantasy football. I've been in the same league for 29 years. Wow. Same bunch of guys in the league. How many guys? It's a 10-team league. Okay. And some younger guys through the years have come through, you know, brothers of guys in the league, sons of guys in the league. So it's been cool how it's evolved. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we've had the same core group for 29 years. And my point in regards to fantasy football as great as it is, because it is a lot of fun and it gives you a new perspective and it forces you to watch the whole league and pay attention. One of the downsides, though, is we just write people off. If they can't help you in fantasy, if they're not showing up on a waiver wire, we're somehow under the impression that they're just not in the league anymore. Andy Dalton can still play, in my mind. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think uh, when you look at Andy Dalton, I think he's a diamond in the rough. Uh, there, there are worse people that they could have signed, but they I thought it was smart that they signed him in the offseason who knew that this was going to be the case, though. Yeah, they got an experienced backup and someone who's been through the ringer and who's hungry. The guy wants to show that 
he's not done. What Tannehill has done in Tennessee has been remarkable. To write that kind of next chapter for himself, the Titans are a really good team. We saw that last year. That was not a flash in the pan. They're for real. They need to be taken seriously in the AFC, and a lot of that has to do with Tannehill, with his improvement, with his maturity, with uh, the confidence that he's infused in that offense. And Mike Vrabel, he brings a, a, a real sense of conviction to the job. Dallas, I don't know what their story is going to be. But if you're asking me, can Andy Dalton be successful? I think the answer is yes. Tony Romo is your CBS sports broadcasting partner. Uh, he's kind of become like the face uh, of the broadcasting crew uh, in a lot of respects as a color commentator, although I think you are the cream of the crop when it comes to play-by-play. <laughs> um, respect. But when you talk about Tony Romo um, as a broadcaster, when you first heard Tony Romo from then to now, were you shocked at his impact from the minute he walked in the door? I was shocked at the impact because it's not that easy to make that kind of strong impression right out of the gate. Normally, it takes a little time. You feel your way through it. I've worked with so many different broadcast partners throughout my career. I know the process. And he was fortunate. He had Jim Nance with him in the booth. So he stepped into a situation that was probably going to succeed, the level of which it happened so quickly was the surprising part. And a lot of that has to do with him. Uh, he is really comfortable. He is really natural. It's a funny thing when the camera goes on and we could analyze this and talk about it, but the reality is everybody's different. Some people become something different when the camera goes on. Some people don't have the right energy, or they just can't get comfortable. Whatever it is, Scoop when you face radio. that camera, people, they can see you for what you are. Mm -hmm. If you're putting on an act, they usually can sniff it out. If you don't know your stuff, they'll figure it out. If you're authentic, if you're real, that also can connect and resonate with an audience. And I think what Tony had from day one, he was just coming from such a real place. He was just off the field. He understood everything that he was looking at, and he was capable of putting it in, into terms that connected with people. That's really what it comes down to. When, when you ask me, well, what, what makes for a successful analyst – the way you're seeing the game, can you articulate it to the audience in a way that they can understand, mm -hmm. that they are entertained by, that they're informed by? Do you teach them something, but do you do it in a way that's pleasing? And he did all that. A check, 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 check. You check every box. Really affable and knows his stuff. So uh, that's... That's the magic secret sauce, if that's what you're looking for. You're asking, well, how? what makes for a successful analyst? Brandon, that's what it is. Can you do all those things? Then you have a chance to be really good at this job. 
I was doing some research and, um, you know, gathering questions before this interview and kind of consulted with some of the writers at Heavy. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me was from the writers of the, that white Cowboys content is just the perspective of the quarterback and more so along the lines of when Dak Prescott got hurt and the fact that Tony Romo was the former quarterback. If you're that, if you're Tony Romo, do you think there's a thought in your mind? Wow. Dak is out almost from a perspective of like, what now? Do you think he's detached from that Cowboys situation? Do you think his instincts as a quarterback is still there? What do you gauge from that? Well, this is year four for him as a broadcaster. So with each year that goes by, he is a little more detached from his playing days, but he lives in the Dallas area. Mm -hmm. That was the only team he ever played for. He and Jerry Jones are very close. He had a very deep connection with Cowboys fans and he'll always be associated with the franchise. So I can't possibly think that he wasn't feeling all sorts of emotions. Hey, toss into the equation. This is the man that replaced him. This is the man that supplanted him when Romo was hurt. Dak came in as a rookie, did a bang-up job, and Tony never got the job back. So, yes, there's no doubt in my mind he was still feeling a bunch of things when he was doing that game, and I'm sure it was it was difficult. Um, there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in it. You know, the idea, if this happened two years ago, I think you could have made a legitimate point that Tony Romo would have gotten a phone call that night saying, hey, are you ready to go? But with each year that goes by, that becomes a more distant memory and it becomes more unrealistic that he could come back and play at the level that they would require of him. Not saying that he couldn't, but I think even Tony would admit, hey, look, I'm not I'm not ready for this physically to go out there and do it. But if it was two years ago, yeah, I think we might be having a completely different conversation right now. The Jets and the Giants both haven't won a game yet, correct? Correct. You're not a betting man, I don't think. But if you, had, if you had your druthers, who wins the game first, the Jets or the Giants? I would say the Giants. Yeah. Say the Giants win, win the game first. The Giants have been the better team of the two. They've been competitive. Uh, I think they're better than they were a season ago. And I think this coach has done a good job. At some point, they're going to break through and win. The Jets, the Jets could possibly go 0-16 or 1-15. That's very possible for it to happen. And I think there are Jets fans right now at 0-5 that are okay with that, believe it or not. You know, football, it's always interesting. Basketball, we know how it works, Brandon. Mm -hmm. You can tell when a team is tanking. In football, it's hard to tank. It just is. This is a very physical sport. You cannot mm -hmm. put your players in harm's way. Now, could you pull back players? Could you not play them? Mm -hmm. You could, but in the NBA, you could limit someone's minutes. You could change the rotation. NFL, it's hard. 
if the goal now for Jets fans is to not win a game and hopefully draft Trevor Lawrence, hmm. I think there are a large faction of Jets fans that would say, you know what? I'm okay with that. If you're telling me that's the guarantee at the end of this thing, they hmm. might be okay with a fresh start. And it's unfortunate for Sam Darnold. Yeah, this might have to be similar to a Ryan Tannehill or maybe even an Andy Dalton in some way. Mm-hmm. He may have to go somewhere else in order to be successful. It just may not be in the cards for him in New York. Now, maybe they see it differently, and maybe Joe Douglas, the GM of the team, sees Sam as as the building block. And I, I certainly wouldn't put the blame on Sam. They just haven't had a very good team around him. Uh, that collection of wide receivers – is unfortunately for the Jets the the worst in the NFL at that position. So he's not getting a lot of help. There's been no running game. The offensive line has been shoddy. It's been hard. A lot of hurdles. We'll see. Uh, I I think it's probably going to be a fresh start for this organization during the offseason. GM stays. He gets to pick a coach. He gets to pick his players. He gets to start a new clock on – this team and whether or not they can get to a credible place in quick order. Daniel Jones next season, next to Saquon Barkley. Do they run the tables like Kyrie and KD will? (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, They, (laughs) they have a, they have a long way to go. I, I think Daniel has talent. He's certainly fearless. I've seen him create plays based on his athleticism and his gumption. He looks the part. He's the prototype. Similar to Sam, I do think he needs more help. The Saquon injury was devastating. I was in Chicago when it happened against the Bears. And, you know, this season, at the very least, Brandon, should have been a time to see the two of them together and get a 16-game understanding of what they could be down the road. And now that gets pushed to another year. So uh, I'm going to stick with what I said earlier. I do think they're better than they were. I do think it's, it's trending upwards for the giants, but at some point they got to win some games and they have to show it. And not just for the fans or for the media, for themselves, Sure, they need it for themselves. They need some validation to remind themselves of why they're working so hard and if that hard work is paying off. They've they've worked hard enough and they've played just about well enough to get a couple of wins. A few more questions. Your son is now uh, a play-by-play guy in L.A. covering the Clippers. Yeah. You guys did not get a chance to actually cross paths this season with the, with the Clippers and the Nets because of COVID, correct? We did cross paths when I had a couple of Turner games. I had two Clipper games on Turner. So one in Philly, one in San Francisco, which strangely enough was the last game before everything got shut off for uh, Tuesday night NBA TNT. Wednesday night, the next night is when everything went haywire. And that was the end of that. But no, we did not have Nets Clippers where we were in the same place. Uh, the Nets and Clippers did play in the seeding round in the bubble. I was physically in the bubble in Orlando. My son, Noah, was in a small studio in L.A. calling it off a monitor. 
you and I go way back to uh, the Nets days when I was doing radio and you were doing television, and I was also a camper at your Bruce Beck Iron Eagle Sports Broadcasting Camp. Jared? Yeah. Uh, How old were you, Brandon? Uh, like 15, 16. And how old are you now? Do you divulge your age? I do 35. It's public now. It's 35. We're talking about 20, 20 years. Yes. I've known you 20 years. Yes. Now you were 14, 15. You were taller than me then. So let's just get that out of the way. You're much taller than me now. But <laughs> you go back a long way from your Nets radio days on the kids show and then uh, attending the sportscasters camp with me and Bruce. So uh, just let me say how cool it is for me to be on with you, to have seen you grow, to see you develop, to see you become uh, who you are today and the, the great things that you're doing within the industry. It, it means a lot. And, and, and it hits me right, right in my heart as well. For sure. I count you as a mentor. You wrote me a college recommendation. So that, that means a lot that you think that much of me to come onto my platform. My pleasure, man. Truly. And the cool thing is, when you look at the, the, the broadcasting camp, Jared Greenberg over at Turner was my camp counselor. He was. That's <laughs> right, Jared. So Jared, who works at uh, Turner, NBA TV, TNT. Jared, this is an interesting story, uh, similar to your path, where you had an understanding pretty early in life this was something that you wanted to do, and you were fortunate enough to pursue it and get some opportunities along the way and, and take advantage of them. Jared was covering Nets games, and he was a young man. And he would just come up to me at Nets games and start asking me questions. He introduced himself to me. And finally, after like three or four times talking to him, I said, uh, I said, why are you here? Who, who are you covering for? He said, oh, I'm here for Ramapo College. And he sa I said, uh, oh, so you go to Ramapo College? He said, no, no. I said, okay, so let me understand. You're covering it for Ramapo College, but you don't go to Ramapo College? He goes, actually, I'm, I'm 15 years old. And wow. my mom saw an opening through Ramapo College, and I applied, and I got credentials. And, hey, do me a favor. Don't tell the Nets. And he was trying to grow a mustache. And I'm thinking, man, this guy has got some big balls. He's <laughs> yeah. here at 15 years old, showing up. And he would come to a lot of games, covering them, sticking the microphone in. I don't know what he was doing with the stuff. So uh, I ended up, obviously, getting to know him. And similar to you, I wrote him a college recommendation to Hofstro. That's where he attended. And then he did come back and serve as a counselor at at the Bruce Beck Iron Eagle camp and lo and behold, I'm in the bubble and who's my sideline reporter for a bunch of the games, but Jared Greenberg, pretty cool. You have kind of an industry tie-in. You, you talk about me and Jared, you kind of had an early start. If I'm not mistaken, your dad was a comedian and was in a Herbs commercial with OJ Simpson. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Yes. Stand-up comedian. He did about uh, 50 commercials over the course of his career that one was fairly famous. Uh, another one that that really put him on the map was uh, Xerox commercial. He played Brother Dominic. It debuted in the Super Bowl. It's uh, still listed as one of the top 10 commercials in Super Bowl history. Uh, he played a monk in a Xerox commercial. You could look it up. Just type in Xerox monk and, and you'll see him. And it was a great, 
great commercial. The OJ commercial, he was tying his shoe in an airport and OJ jumps over him and he swings his head around. And one version of the commercial, he says, go OJ. And then another version, it's just him with a with a funny face. But I did a lot of commercials. Fleischmann's Margarine, Mr. Cholesterol. You could look that one up on Google. You'll get a good laugh. There are three different commercials for that. Uh, you name it. Uh, uh, Carefree Gum, uh, that was a big one. Uh, he had a lot of big one, big commercial. Gillette, uh, Hunt's Tomato Ketchup, Samsonite, many, many, many spots. But yeah, uh, I was around it my whole life, Brandon. My mom was a singer and an actress. And I, I just understood that this was something you could do in your life. You could do something that was unconventional. My parents were all for it. When I told them I wanted to be a sportscaster, they said, well, that's what you'll do. And I was eight years old. So when you're told that at a young age, then Scoop you believe it. Sure. sure. You in the WFAN days, um, you on your rise and your climb. Um, I've heard many versions of the story of WFAN. So one day going on the now defunct sports channel, I remember sports channel before the Nets were on Fox Sports New York. Um, would a position like that or that trajectory be possible today? I probably will be a bit more challenging just based on how many people want to do this compared to 30 years ago. There was a lot of interest 30 years ago, don't get me wrong, but there weren't a lot of outlets to do it. Now there are more outlets than ever, but the impact isn't felt at the level that it was in 1990 when I broke in. I graduated college May 10th. I started at FAN Radio two days later, May 12th, as a producer. Wanted to be on the air, but I was told very directly, if you want to be on the air, do not take this job. I took it anyway hmm. with the idea that if I got my foot in the door and if I built some trust with the decision makers that one day they would give me a chance. One day I would get my opportunity. And that opportunity came September of 1991. So nearly a year and a half later, you know, it was a, a year and change where they gave me a chance to do updates and I did well. And then I was put on the schedule the next week. And then I was put on the schedule the next week and the next week and the next week. And I did a pregame show for the Super Bowl in 1992. Washington Buffalo, Steve Levy, who's now doing Monday Night Football, he and I hosted a five-hour pregame show leading up to that Super Bowl. That was the first show opportunity I was given. And it went well for both me and Steve. We both did well. And Steve got more chances, and I got more chances. And it snowballed from there. Uh, they acquired the rights to the New York Jets in 1993. They named me the pre- and post-game host. That was a huge deal for me. It gave me a piece of my own real estate to call my own and really uh, work towards. And it was a big platform at the time. FAN was very focused on making that successful. And then the next job came around one year later in 1994. I did one year of radio, moved on to TV the next year. Uh, CBS, three years after that. Uh, the Jets play-by-play -play job two years after that. So 
it, it all happened in a domino effect. And I was very, very fortunate. But I also recognized that it was going to require a lot of work. And you had to catch some breaks along the way. And you had to do well. You know, that's the other part. You know, people say like, oh, these chances. But you have to do well with them. Mm -hmm. You got you to gotta really, uh, in the moment, perform and make sure that you're doing your job at the highest level or those opportunities just don't pop up. Last question. I am, you, you talk about the Nets and um, from Jersey to Brooklyn. I had Chris Broussard on Heavy Life with Scoopy a couple of weeks ago. I'm curious to know from your perspective, the early recollections of the Meadowland days with New Jersey. And do you ever reflect back and look at them and miss them? A good yeah. Badness. Yeah, uh, I do. And I do think back to that time. I started there in 1994. My radio partner was Mike O'Corn, uh, about as nice a human being as you could find. He later on became an assistant coach with the Nets, followed Eddie Jordan to Washington, an assistant coach there, followed Eddie Jordan to Rutgers, was an assistant coach there, former player with the Nets. I could not have been luckier to get someone like him right out of the gate. I get the TV job the next year, Brandon, who's my partner, Bill Raftery. And when Bill can't do the games, who's my partner, Jim Spinarkle. You know, these are two of my best friends in my life. And it all came from that time. And as you know, because you were at a bunch of those games, they weren't drawing a lot of fans. So the people that did go, there was a familial feeling to it. It was the same faces. It was a lot of close-knit relationships because you'd see these people 41 dates a year. The people that were into it were really into it. And uh, I do miss those days. I do miss uh, a little bit of, of that vibe. Now, what they've had in Brooklyn has been awesome. I'll be the first to admit, I didn't know how it would go. I was upset that they were moving. You know, I live in Jersey. I've now lived in Jersey for 25 years. And I moved here because I was doing the Nets. And my wife was from Jersey, so it just made sense. But my two kids, this is all they know. They're Jersey people. So when they were moving to Brooklyn, my first thought was, why? They can make this work. They, they could be successful here in New Jersey. Ultimately, it turned out to be the right, the right move. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, been, it's been really cool to see how the borough has welcomed them. And I think it's going to get bigger. Look, we have to get through this and just the idea of having fans together again at the venue is is awe-inspiring. I, I just hope that uh, the NBA figures it out a way to, to get back to that. But yeah, do I do I miss those days? Yes, there, there's there's always going to be a piece of me that, that's at the Meadowlands or Continental Airlines Arena or IZOD Center or Brendan Byrne, whatever you want to call it. Uh, 
it was it was a special play. It was a dump, but it was our <laughs> dump. I remember some memorable games, man. The NBA Finals, Jason Kidd coming there, Stephon Marbury dropping a ton of points on Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. A lot of them, even the game you called, uh, I think it was triple or quadruple overtime, the, the Suns and the, and the Nets. Yep. Yep. Kid and Steve Nash, who dueled in that game. The other part of it that <laughs> is funny because people are asking me, well, what are you going to do with empty arenas? How are you going to adjust to that? And I'd say, well, no, you, you understand. I did the Nets in the mid-90s. I'm accustomed <laughs> to doing games with very few fans. I can remember very specific moments. There were people sitting behind me at a game and I got the headset on, I'm calling the game and I could literally hear their conversations. And it was a married couple and they were talking about their vacation plans to Aruba. And we go to commercial break. I take the headset off. I turn around, I face them. I said, Hey, good call on Aruba. Really beautiful. <laughs> and they look at me like, what? You heard that? I was like, also, Aunt Eileen, you should bring her. Bring her. I'm like, you heard that too? I heard everything. I could hear every conversation. There was nobody there. Uh, it was it was eerie sometimes. That's not the case anymore in, in Brooklyn. It, it it's been it's been pretty wild to see. Uh, just how the the different ambiance has taken over, and now that's become associated with the Nets and with Durant and Kyrie. Uh, if if we could get back to a place where we have fans in there, man, I think it it has a chance to be really unique. I'm looking forward to hearing you say that's a man's jam by Kevin Durant. <laughs> I'm practicing, man. I, I'll, I'll say it in front of the mirror. I'll get myself ready. Yeah, we just want to see uh, KD come down the lane and and throw one down. I'm just excited to see him play. Yes, sir. And I can tell you this, Brandon, in in just my my experience this year with Kyrie, he played 20 games. 20. He had more highlights in 20 games than most guys will have in a full season. Mm -hmm. That's how special he was in that 20 game period as a play-by-play -play announcer. I found myself having to come up with creative ways to describe the things he was doing because he was doing some things I just had not seen before. That's how gifted a player he is. You take that, you take Kevin Durant, you put it together and sky's the limit. Look, I'm not one to say, oh, they're they're an instant contender for an NBA championship. We don't know what the season's going to look like. We still don't know what the supporting cast is going to look like. I do know in the NBA, you better have supreme talent. If you're going to go to that next level, what we saw from the Nets two seasons ago was a lot of fun. They overachieved. They made the playoffs. They galvanized the fan base, and they got people excited again about the Brooklyn Nets, but there was a ceiling to where they could go. You have to have real major talent if you're going to win an NBA championship in this day and age, as we just saw. And they, with those two guys, now can get in the conversation. And if they have the right pieces, 
and this thing goes the way that they hope it could go, there could be some fun times along the way in Brooklyn. And we'll leave it there. Iron Eagle, Yes Network, CBS Sports. Catch him on all platforms. He doesn't have social media, but he is on Twitter. <laughs> Not that you know of, Brandon. That doesn't mean I don't have it. Just means oh, I know you have it. You, you have a, you have a, I don't know if it would be considered a burner because you don't have an actual one that we know of, but yeah. I don't have an actual one. <laughs> sure. That's how I roll, man. That's how you roll. Thank you for your time, sir. Brandon, thank you. Uh, 20 years. I mean, that's that's the number I'm going on. We've known each other 20. I've known you more than half your life, man. Keep it keep it up. Scoopy, proud of you. Uh, keep doing your thing. And uh, I'll keep paying attention. And I'll keep listening and watching and reading. And we'll talk down the road. And maybe we'll actually see each other again sometime soon. And we'll click elbows or touch feet. We'll do something. Something. <laughs> Thank you, good man. You too. This is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee and I'll bring the Duncan. Come on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.